The advantage is that a reduced inpatient stay duration would significantly improve patient experience, reduce their infection risk, limit healthcare utilization, and decrease overall costs. Hi, I'm Marianne Bohr with Hims. In this episode, we're sitting down with Todd Greenwood, Senior Director of Evidence and Outcomes at ZS Associates, and Dr. Sridevi Rajiv, Myeloma and Cell Therapy Oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Today, we're talking about proving how remote monitoring can allow cancer patients to stay home. Before we start, I want to say thank you to ZS Associates for sponsoring this podcast. And thank you for joining us today, Dr. Rajiv and Todd. Thank you for inviting me to talk about our exciting work on your platform. Thanks for having us. This is wonderful. Oh, we're glad to have you. Now, Dr. Rajiv, could you please tell us a little bit about the focus of the research that you did at Mount Sinai Hospital? Absolutely. So during my hematology and oncology training at the Mount Sinai Hospital, I was involved in designing an investigator-initiated clinical trial that looked to evaluate whether remote patient monitoring using wearable devices can help detect vital sign changes associated with an adverse effect of CAR-T therapy called cytokine release syndrome, or what we call CRS. Now, just as a background, CAR-T therapy or chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy is a novel immunologic therapy that is shown to have a very high efficacy in treating a lot of hematological malignancies, including multiple myeloma. Now, these therapies are usually available and administered at only large centers with significant expertise in CAR-T and stem cell or bone marrow transplantation. So we were interested to see whether we can bring about a change in the current way these therapies are administered, which includes a prolonged inpatient stay of up to two weeks after the infusion of CAR-T using wearable devices for remote patient monitoring. The advantage is that a reduced inpatient stay duration would significantly improve patient experience, reduce their infection risk, limit healthcare utilization, and decrease overall costs. However, monitoring patients remotely requires a very reliable method for CRS detection. Therefore, we sought to look at the feasibility of using a wearable device for detecting CRF in myeloma patients who got CAR-T therapy as compared to standard of care in our IIT. Now, Dr. Rajiv, why do patients need to be monitored in the hospital with uh, CAR-T and bispecifics? That's a great question. And to understand that, I would like to take you back a little bit to the history of how CAR-Ts and bispecifics were, came about and how they were designed. So for both CAR-T and bispecific antibody therapies, there is a course of hospitalization that's built into their administration. A decade ago, when the earliest CAR-Ts were being studied in humans, we realized that there were some serious adverse effects that accompanied the infusion of these products, namely cytokine release syndrome or CRS and neurotoxicity. So what do these mean? Cytokine release syndrome is diagnosed when a patient has fever along with low oxygen saturation or low blood pressure. It's a sort of massive inflammatory syndrome that happens in the body when these cells enter the body and start killing all the cancer cells. Treatment of this severe adverse effect needs to be immediate and involves IV fluids and a few drugs called tocilizumab, steroids, and anakindra. Similarly, for neurotoxicity, you diagnose that when a patient demonstrates confusion, memory loss, delirium, seizures, etc. And the treatment also is, includes steroids and anakindra and tocilizumab. However, the key point being they need to be administered immediately as possible. 
So to manage these adverse effects, the timely administration was important, and therefore all the clinical trials that tested CAR-T's and bispecific antibodies were done in an inpatient setting. For bispecific specifically, only the step-up dosing portion is inpatient, but this is the way all the clinical trials were designed. Subsequently, when the clinical trials concluded and we saw that their results were very favorable and when they proceeded to FDA approval, the FDA approval indication completely follows the setting in which the clinical trial was done. And therefore, the FDA approval for these products is usually to be given under close inpatient monitoring. We do, however, have some significant progress in the design of new generation of CAR T cells. The profile of severe cytokine release syndrome is very less for newer products, and that's great because we are now good at designing safer products. Our understanding of how to manage these side effects has also gotten much better. And therefore, we think now is a good time as any to try to move these therapies to the outpatient setting. I see. Now, what did you learn from this research? That's interesting. So the study is just completing enrolling. However, we enrolled quite a number of patients receiving CAR T-cell therapy at Mount Sinai Hospital. These patients wore the wearable device for the duration of their hospital stay, which was two weeks or more, as indicated. Almost all the patients we approached, which is close to 87%, were interested in this technology and agreed to be a part of study, which I think is a really good surrogate marker of the future interest if we were to take this forward. The adherence of patients bearing this device over the duration of two weeks was 75% overall, and during the high-risk period for CRS was as high as 88%. We saw that in all the patients that developed CRS, the wearable device not only consistently picked up the changes associated with CRS, but when analyzed by three different methods, showed that the device detected CRS earlier than what is considered standard of care by almost 118 minutes. That's a two and a half hour lead time. This is very encouraging since it means that not only does the device capture 100% of all events that happens, which implies in scientific terms a high sensitivity, but also that this earlier detection, this detection by almost 180 minutes before, will be useful if we were to take patients to the outpatient setting. One way I can imagine using that earlier detection time is to maybe give patients a call, check in with them how they're feeling. And if I feel that something's not right or all right, you can ask them to come to the hospital. Or if you feel that this is probably just mild symptoms and not associated with CRS, you can advise them to continue monitoring at home. Well, that's significant. Now, what is the applicability of this RPM technology in smaller cancer centers? Right. So as I was alluding to before, right now, the administration of CAR-Ts and to a certain extent, bispecific antibodies are linked to large tertiary oncology centers, which have the expertise and the means to do these. So patients come to us from different states, four hours away, people even fly in to get these therapies because they probably don't have a large center near them. And this is now causing a lot of disparities in people who cannot travel or do not hear about it because their oncologists did not know how to reach the centers that administer them. So there is right now a disparity in patients getting access to it. If RPM technology is used in smaller cancer centers that have fewer resources. And by fewer resources, I mean the number of hospital beds. 
staffing ratio. These clinics can potentially use remote patient monitoring to administer these therapies to a subset of patients, have them being monitored at home with a central command center, and then you can bring them into the clinic instead of having patients be admitted and depriving other patients who actually need to be admitted and get chemo. So I think smaller centers have a huge potential to adopt these. And Speaking of applicability, apart from oncology, cardiology has been trying to use remote patient monitoring for quite some time, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. So a lot of hospital systems now have been experimenting with remote patient monitoring, but I think we still need a few more data to strongly support this, and which is what we hope we can provide. Well, that kind of dovetails in my next question, which is what needs to happen to have cancer centers adopt this remote patient monitoring and, you know, who needs to be convinced? Right. As physicians, we're always data-driven. And right now, there's a huge dearth of data in this field because we don't have many studies, especially studies that prospectively look at how patients do when you compare them with standard of care with remote patient monitoring. So that is where our study, we hope, is pivotal and will provide meaningful data to drive these big workflow decisions. What needs to happen for cancer centers to adopt? From my experience at my training hospital, which was Mount Sinai, it involved a lot of testing out of different vendors who provide these devices and platforms, adopting these through their security measures, implementing it at an institutional level, which includes integrating with the electronic medical record system. All of these took quite a few months, but once accomplished, the workflow was very easy. So I think that initial startup effort of conversations, the vetting of vendors, the initial startup costs may be something that the upper management needs to take a close review of and then compare to the utility and the cost savings at a company when you take all these patients that are currently inpatients to the outpatient setting and have a review. If they see a significant change, that would be a next step in cancer centers adopting remote patient monitoring. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Now, Todd, why is ZS interested in remote patient monitoring technologies? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, we're, of course, working with uh, pharma companies around the world, many of the companies that are developing these novel therapies in bispecifics and CAR-T. And our clients are facing the same questions from, honestly, from a business perspective, uh, you know, how can they provide their therapies to as broad a population as possible, um, knowing that there are these severe limitations? Um, you know, patients do not want to have to spend uh, a week in, in the hospital, simply a monitoring uh, situation. Hospitals don't want to have to have patients uh, taking up, you know, valuable beds, you know, for a week just for monitoring. And and certainly from a payer perspective, we know that the payers are certainly interested in, in looking for those options as well. ZS has been invited to, you know, work with our you know, our partner clients to really help to ask that question of how can we help, you know, to facilitate and accelerate you know, the adoption of these important technologies. You know, it's not just about the technology, but the technology is critically important. Part of the, you know, digital connected health group, I mean, many of the questions that we ask start with the patient. You know, what is really that, uh, that the patient wants? How can we ensure that we're developing or that we're establishing uh, technology that patients uh, will use? 
you know, how does it fit into the larger system? So the work that that uh, Dr. Rajiv uh, is doing and has done, really, really important, instrumental in helping to move that forward. Absolutely. I know that with the, my friends who've gone through things like this, the, being able to be at home instead of at the hospital would be fantastic. So Todd, what are some of the challenges that pharma clients are facing as they're looking to ZS for support? That's great. Uh, you know, we alluded to it a little bit before, but, you know, frankly, when we think about where cancer patients get their care, um, I think the statistics are about 80% of patients around the country get their care at community-based oncology centers. People not only want to be home, but they also want to pick uh, places that are close to home to get their cancer care. Uh, those places are not Mount Sinai. They're not Memorial Sloan Kettering. They're, they're typically smaller institutions. And the question of how do you provide that technology in those institutions in a way that uh, the oncology teams um, are going to, first of all, understand how that technology is going to be used within that workflow and how and that they're going to be comfortable. You know, those are those are really critical questions to bring that to a, a, a really a broader audience. So our clients have you know, very specifically asked us, you know, how do we make sure that we can provide these truly miraculous drugs to people in a much broader way than they're currently being uh, provided now? Let's see now. Todd, what do you think the future looks like for remote patient monitoring in oncology? You know, if we take a look at how RPM has has grown in other areas, as, as uh, Dr. Rajib said, in cardiology, uh, certainly neurology. I think it's almost a certainty that we're going to see far more use of digital modalities to help patients in the course of their care. We're seeing it certainly much more uh, in clinical research, but I think that what was tested out here at Mount Sinai and, and really what we're seeing as kind of the beginning steps is in use, in clinical care and uh, use, uh, the use of remote patient monitoring. I think it's almost a certainty that we're going to see that far more in the United States, you know, and the rest of the world to follow soon after. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Rajiv, Todd, thank you both so much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your insights with us. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thank you. It was a great conversation. Absolutely. And of course, special thanks to ZS Associates for sponsoring this podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Mm-hmm.